So I'll tell you what baffles me these days. What? These new Samsung commercials. They keep talking about how these phones, you know, you can share your charge with somebody. You just by, you know, put them together. And granted, you and I don't go out, you know, especially weekends and whatnot like that anymore. But I do remember when we did, and if you came up to me and were like, hey, man, my phone's getting kind of low. It's dying. Can I get some juice off you? I'm most likely going to be like, no, because then my phone's going to be dead. And how am I going to be able to use my phone later? It does not seem, you know, as the commercials portray it, in my opinion. That's not where I thought you were going to go with that. You say that every time I start out with something. I know, but, you know, I I thought you were going to say something like the only way I'm sharing a charge with someone is back at the apartment late at night. (laughs) Then they don't need a charge. I got a cord. Everyone, my name is John Edwards, and with me is Zeke Baker, and together we make the Dad's Drinking Bourbon. Wherever you are, whatever time it is, thank you for making us a part of your day. Zeke was a little sick. He's back. We had the guys from Bring Dad a Beer come in. It was a call to the bullpen, brought to you by Budweiser. <laughs> and uh, now Zeke's back. Zeke, it's great to have you back. Say hi. Howdy, howdy. Happy to be back, as always. And we have another returning friend. One of people we love talking to. We talk to him probably more than he likes, but uh, he's one of our good friends in the industry. Sean Josephs from Pinhook. Thank you so much for coming back. It's great to have you here in the makeshift studio. It is great to be here. We got uh, home garden TV on instead of <laughs> the uh, Warriors Raptors, but you know. I feel really bad because. When Sean and I were talking, he goes, I really want to watch this game tonight. And I said, oh, it's great. My apartment building has these meeting rooms. There's a TV in there. No problem. I want to watch the game, too. And then we get here. And it is a huge, colossal swing and a miss. We're good. Although we do get to watch House Hunters International. (laughs) Yes, exactly. And I hate the House Hunters International because they're always doing rentals. It's never a purchase. They're always renting something opposed to buying something. Do I spend more time in this room than I should? Yes, you do, because I have not seen that show. <laughs> also seems very anti-productive when you're in this room. Why? Well, if you pay that much attention to the show, you can't be spend too much time on working. Oh, I'm editing. I, I'm editing our podcast. All sorts of stuff like oh, that. what, like two or three words? There's not that much to take out. <laughs> sure. <laughs> So, Sean, what have you been up to, and what's the score of the game right now? Okay. Oh, man. You know, the Warriors were up most of the game. Did the Raptors? And now the Raptors are up 103-97. So. Are they going to close it out tonight? I think they might. I think they might. What is there? A guy on the Raptors, who was it? He has, like, some billionaire guy said, you can use my house whenever you want. Oh, I didn't know about that. Some guy said, like, if you bring a championship to Toronto... You basically get anything I have whenever you want. That's amazing. I haven't had that offer yet. Imagine being an NBA player and like getting offers like that. Like I have a bunch of shit. If you want to use any of it, yeah, just bring a championship bring a to the city, and we're good to go. Yeah. But at the same time, you got to be like, I'm going to Toronto. Thanks for the deal. How am I going to pull this off? Well, maybe he has jets or other stuff. You know, 
I just saying they're not typically known as a you know top tier team. Oh man, when they had Vince Carter though, they were good. That was like what twenty years ago. Jesus, what date yourself there, Edward? <laughs> I remember watching Vince Carter and all those crazy slam dunks. That was fun to watch. He was amazing. He stayed in the league longer than about anybody. He, he did. He put didn't he push close to forty? I mean, he, yeah, that class had some, yeah. you know, that UNC class that came out with him had some amazing athletes in general, but he definitely just hung around the league and, you know, was never dead weight. But if you think about it, a lot of those guys that were there then, I mean, again, news today too, though, Tony Parker just retired. Yeah. He was 40. Yeah. You had, um, but the, those group of people when Vince was around, like didn't Zoe play till he was 40. Yeah. A lot of those guys pushed it. They were they were in there for a long time. Miss Larry Johnson though. I love Larry Johnson. I remember when he used to play with Muggsy. That was yeah, great times in Charlotte. Was it, Muggsy Bogues was five foot three. Yes, that is a point of fact. He is. He no. played in the NBA and he's five foot three. Well, he and Spud, Spud Webb. Webb, but F- Spud Webb was like five eight. Was he? Right? But point of contention. Yeah, Muggsy so. Bogues was five three and a half. Oh, I read okay, his fair book. point. Sorry. <laughs> read his book. <laughs> his huh? proud of the, I did the half an inch was like I did this last week or when? <laughs> no, when I was younger, I met. I read the Muggsy Bogues book, <laughs> and I retained the information. He was five three and a half. Do you remember when Spud Webb won the slam dunk competition? Yeah. That was great. No, I think that was was that, was that him? No, I think you're, oh, that I was, was D Brown. Brown. Oh. I thought that was D Brown. No, it was Wasn't the it? Celtics. D Brown. D Brown was the guy. He, 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 he did the head. Like, yeah. He also. Um, you want to talk about dating myself? His whole thing, D Brown, before his big dunk was he, those were the, when they had the Reebok pumps. Yep. So there was a pump in the tongue of the shoe. And so that was like considered to be this awesome thing where he got down on his, you know, like on one knee and and pumped up his shoe before his signature. I remember dunk. my first pair of pumps actually. <laughs> I had the Shack pumps. They were black and blue, and and the pump was blue and the shoe was black. I had the Shack pumps for all the dunks though. Going back to Vince Carter, it was the one where he put his elbow in the rim. That yeah. was one of the all time. I think will always stand up. I mean, of course, there's Jordan from the free throw line, although plenty of people have done that since. But he did the he hung from his like the crook of his oh. arm. But D Brown dabbed <laughs> before it was a thing. Yes, he did. He did it before Migos <laughs> yes, he did. did. You know, like and he did He's it while dunking a basketball. <laughs> so you know, got to got to have some Celtic pride. Yeah, not man. too many Celtics if you think about it. Yeah, for us to to. That's our team. Yes. And uh, a lot of the people on Antoine Walker, he was not a dunker. Yeah. He was a walker. He would just walk and shoot a three. Then Paul Pierce wasn't really a dunker. Ray Allen. Kevin Garnett. I mean, he dunked, but it wasn't like he was more aggressive. So look, I know we're fully off on a tangent now, but if we're really going to talk about this, how about like whatever happened to the quirky role player? There were so many. So I'm thinking now I'll focus on the Celtics because that was my team. The Greg Kites of the world. Like his only job was to come in the game and maul people. (laughs) And then you had someone like Jerry Seasting, Scott Wedman. You had all these like unusual guys who would just come in 
and fulfill this very well, no. specific role. So the Celtics had they don't have those. And Scalabrini, that's another good one. But, but they don't. But who are those players now? You don't really have like they only play like six, seven deep. They don't have these quirky dudes. And the guy comes into the game, and it almost seems like he can't play basketball. But he's like <laughs> somehow either good at punching people in the face or just doing well, one no, thing really no well. Anymore. They're no, well, yeah that that part has has gone. They the the NBA said we don't like it. I think after Meta World Peace went into the stands, yeah. you had all that That's stuff a good point. going on. I, I don't think they encouraged the violence like those old rivalries where the Pistons were the going Pistons. after everyone. What about Vinny the Microwave Johnson? <laughs> you just never knew when he was going to come in and no pun intended obviously that was his nickname heat up you just didn't know with that guy he had a very un- he had a very unusual looking shot and some days he would come in and he wasn't on and some days they would just feed him the ball over and over again and he would just drop 25 points on in a half like Tony he was Delk was like that though for the Celtics for a while too yes. where he was the solid six man yeah and it's funny because he was a baller at Kentucky and then he would just come in off the bench for the Celtics and just drain threes. So I don't, I mean, they're, they're still that role player, but, but what about the Dennis Rodman, even someone, and I guess I'm saying, forget about the, his weirdness with all his stuff, but just someone who could change the game just sheerly with rebounding energy and defense. Well, yeah, and it was, Do you see what I'm saying? Like size who is, who would you point to in the league? Who's like that? I mean, maybe almost like a Draymond green, but not even Draymond Green has more skills with the ball. Yeah, like Dennis threes. Rodman almost couldn't. All he could do was like catch a ball under the basket and, <laughs> and get an occasional Rodman layup. Like he really style. had no. Um, did he have any offensive skill set, Dennis Rodman? No. Like he I'm, literally, he couldn't put the ball on the floor. He couldn't shoot from outside. He couldn't play in the post. Like all he did was occasionally get an offensive rebound and put it back. Yeah, right? that was. I really remember the yeah. guy that was uh, big with Detroit. What was his name Ben something? Had the big hair. Ben, ben Wallace. Wallace. Yeah. That's the last, you know, defensive that's a great, player that's a like great that point. I can really think of. Yeah. But you had, if you think about it, even for the Celtics, like yeah. Rajon Rondo, and I know I'm being biased as a Kentucky grad, bringing yeah. up a lot of those Kentucky players. Rondo was also quirky, right? Rondo was Not quirky. Not much of a shooter. Not much of a talker either, because I used to yeah. have to interview him when oh, I was right. <laughs> at ESPN he Radio. He nothing to say. He, he just is a soft-spoken individual. Okay. Long, long, long arms. His wingspan was crazy, and getting trying to get oh, by man. him and trying to blow by him, uh, college to the pros. He He's was so underrated much. defensively. Oh, Wasn't going to be the guy who was going to be a run and gun. Like he wouldn't have fit in Calipari's. As a, I'm wrong. He would have fit in Calipari's, but he's not like the the John Walls or those other Mm-mm. types of of point guards. He's really good at distributing the ball, and he's really good at just running and, and playing defense. They used to call it a true point guard, of which yeah. there aren't many. Like on the Celtics, it was Dennis Johnson originally. Yeah. Like he was like, Dennis Johnson's job was to pass the ball to other people and make a jumper at the elbow when yeah. it became available. Like and that now was you see point guards that get 25, 25, 10, and 10, and you wonder how it happens. Different game these days. Different game these days, but... I will say, a lot of these teams are built around, and it's you know it's LeBron's problem in in L.A. right now, and you need three people. And anybody who says that Jordan won it on its own, oh my God, what a know, team! What a team they Kerr. had there! Just even those the the Kerr's, the Paxons, 
Rodman, Tony Kukoc, Kukoc, Cartwright, Pippen. Well, of yeah. course, Pippen. <laughs> but, but I like, mean, that... the Celtics, the Celtics with with the big three in the eighties to the big three in the aughts, and then you had the Lakers, How about the Pistons, Pistons, Lambier, Thomas, yeah, um, Rodman, Rodman. Oh, Joe Dumars. Joe Dumars. Joe Dumars was one of the best shooting guards to ever play the game. You need a team around people. I mean, look at look at what's happening right now to the Warriors. I mean, Curry is an amazing player, but you take those other guys out, and his two other big big players are kind of riding. Uh, you know, thank God, Boogie. Got involved, yeah. but it wasn't enough. I, I think the game's over now, well, probably. Yeah. Well, someone pointed out that uh, that the Warriors, in order to get Durant, basically gave up all their the Harrison Barnes, right? They gave up all those role players when they had a bunch of injuries. There was really no one to go to. It's one hundred six, one hundred five Warriors with twenty nine seconds to go. Oh, I have it up too. Welcome back to Dad's Drinking Bourbon Sports. <laughs> we'll be here all night. <laughs> We like bourbon too, right? Speaking of which, we will move on. But yeah. Zeke, you're going away this weekend. I'm going away too. Are Didn't you- they used to say that when you go to prison? <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was specifically like, yeah, well, he's going away. That's almost kind of you know, third person kind of thing. Yeah, daddy's got to go away for a little while. Well, on a, on a good note, you're going away on a vacation. I am oh, going oh. to East Tennessee. I'm going to go camping. Nice. Are you taking any uh, whiskey with you? you know, actually, I thought about that today as I was uh, loading up boxes on boxes to get everything out for the, the Father's Day stuff. And it hit me like a ton of bricks. I haven't fixed any rounds or anything for myself for this trip. Well, thankfully, you have high camp flasks, right? I so do. That's something where you could take... The Firelight Flask, which is a 750 milliliter flask, or the Half Light Flask, which is a 375 milliliter flask. Both of these flasks are going to have those six shooter tumblers that are magnetically. You hear that? That's loud. Yeah. But it, it, it's almost, it looks like a bullet almost when you take it off. It's a six shooter tumbler, it magnetically seals to the flask. When you open this thing up, it has the no-drip lip on the flask itself, so you know this thing is not going to leak on you. It is vacuum-sealed for both hot and cold temperature drinks. So you can put some coffee in here if you want, which I know you are not a coffee drinker. I am. But you could put some whiskey in here if you want to, or you could put something cold. Yeah, the only time I'm going to get much coffee is literally to... Uh mask the the smell or the taste of the bourbon that might come back off my breath so i don't get in too much trouble well <laughs> true maybe you could put something in the half light and then put your whiskey in the uh, firelight well not be a good balance you you take them both out into or, the woods with or you. maybe vice versa since that one holds the 750 mls i gotta have my priorities no that's what i'm saying you put the whiskey in the 750 oh, so go to highcampflask.com, use code DDB until Father's Day. You will get 20% off. Visit them at High Camp Flask on Instagram. Check out the Flask. They're good people, good stuff. You're going to take yours with you, right, Zeke? Yes, sir. So what's what's the camping whiskey? So if if I'm sitting, and again, perpetuating cliche, but I happen to like a Corona with lime in the right situation. If I was going out to a nice restaurant and I decided I want to have a beer before my meal, I'm not going to order a Corona. 
But if I'm in New Orleans where I live and it's like 110 degrees with 95% humidity, a Corona with lime seems like the perfect beer for the occasion. So if you're out in the woods... I think it depends on what time of the year. Okay, well, you're going, but you guys are going camping. So we're we're in spring. You're going camping, you know, in the next week or so. So So it could still be 90 to 100 degrees. Yeah, so what's what's your campfire, end of the day, you know, whiskey that just makes you feel like you have the perfect whiskey for that situation? This kind of gets to you because being a restaurateur, being a wine sommelier, you think about pairings quite a bit. Yeah. It also depends on the time of the day. If it's the middle of the day and I am not kissing ass to the person sitting next to me, it's going to be something a little bit lighter. Like like Pinhook, I think some of the, the recent releases you've had have been really good for me. I always call them the lawnmower pours mm-hmm. because it's something that you want to have that you're sitting on the lawnmower going around mowing your lawn. It could be I'll really hot out and it's not going to kill you. At night, I'd want maybe a heavier pour, so like a a Four Roses or a Russell's Reserve pick, something a little bit heavier, uh, like a a Stag Junior. Yeah. This sounds more like you're at home, not on a camping trip. To me, I'm I'm camping. I'm thinking I've got limited space. Ooh. Golden State won 106-105. That's crazy. I'm sorry. At least I feel bad that I did not keep you from missing the last game, though. No, that's even better. No, you're 100% right. That was not the last game. Yeah. I mean, there's more basketball to be seen. So what's what's heavier than a 750 ml bottle? You're not going to pack three or four of those things in there. So I, I don't know if I have a, a single thing in mind, but it's literally something cash strength, bang for the buck. If I want it cash strength, it's good. If I need to just water it down to 90, I'm going to stretch it out further than most other products. So and camping wise, that's literally my my simple train of thought is, uh, what do I have here that I've got a full bottle of that's high proof? So if need be, I can stretch out this one bottle. And it's going to last me longer than if I packed in a ninety five hundred proofer bottle. That especially if I put a little water in there, it might be gone after the first night, and then I'm kind of up shit's creek. <laughs> I just want to know where the hell they are that that house is four hundred and twenty eight thousand because I want to go move there. That house is like a mansion for four hundred and twenty eight thousand. <laughs> I think on my travels I've been there. <laughs> <laughs> what What about you? What's your camping pour? I you know, listening to Zeke, I do have to concede he's right. Just pack one thing, pack, pack a cast strength, and then you can proof it down. Yes, you win. Okay. <laughs> I think it's got to be something that you feel good drinking straight from the bottle. Now, I remember on a late, late night passing it around, and there, there's no glassware or even cups, quote unquote. I mean, I hate to go back, but I mean, Jim Beam White Label. That just seems like the thing. You're just you're sitting by the fire. You got your Jim Beam White Label. It's what eighty proof. See, I've been yeah. I've been there plenty of times. It's just I, I learned the hard way of that's the fire around the house. So if you wake up next morning and everything's empty, you can still run to the store and, and reload. That's a good point. Versus uh, you know being out in the the woods or the bush or whatever you want to call it. And uh, there's not any stores around here. And who wiped out all the booze? Because today's gonna not be fun if I'm sober the whole time. I will say everything comes full circle, and and then we'll we'll talk about Pinhook here, but. Jim Beam White Label just makes me think of college and taping it to the inside of my leg yeah. to go see college basketball games. Because the SEC has 
that stupid policy that they just have rescinded about selling alcohol at games. All of us, we just tape Jim Beam white label to the, you can get those flasks, the plastic ones that are a little bit bigger Mm -hmm. and being a big guy, they just make me tape most of them to the inside of my leg. And then I think to your point, I said Jim Beam white label because that's what I remember drinking on a camping trip. So for me, it would be sentimental. And that's good. But I also think it's fascinating to me the way that I think that all the Russell stuff aside, there's so many people who've never been able to get past their association with Turkey <laughs> from, from college. Literally my and, it's so, and Wild Turkey makes such amazing whiskey, as you all know. I mean, I remember I was, I was flying to Europe and asked the flight attendant, you know, for a bourbon. They brought me something in a glass and... I tasted it. They didn't tell me what it was. I didn't see them pour it. It wasn't like a mini bottle. They like poured it back in the galley, whatever. And I tasted it and I was like, holy crap, this is phenomenal. <laughs> and I asked her, I when next time she swung by, I was like, what, what is that? And, and she brought me the bottle. It was wild Turkey. I think it was like the one Oh one. I was going to say, that's what's so funny. Yeah. Most so of us good. all have good memories of beam from, you know, that time frame in life. But nobody has good memories of turkey from back yeah, around so 1820. I didn't still- mind. I didn't mind turkey, and I think 101 is just phenomenal. It is. And it's, you missed that on some good field parties. There. But they're still yeah. fighting. I still think they're fighting that perception in the marketplace. Yeah, among a certain generation. Oh, it took I mean, me a, a forever to really get past that. You hear folks, oh, you got to try this turkey. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> no, sorry, I just can't it's get past so that good. memory. But I mean, that's why also it's like, I know you guys are into doing it, but certainly from my wine experience and that's a, I think it's a good idea with whiskey too, is you got to taste stuff blind and, yeah. you know, just see what you think when you have no idea what you're tasting and when you don't know what the age is and you don't know what it is and you don't know what it costs. And, and I, I always found in wine, it was like the most humbling experience. I mean, I was in situations which you can't really do with whiskey where the goal was to actually guess like, well, what grape is it? And what, from what part of the world and what's the vintage? And you know, you're like drilling down more in that way. Those tests are crazy that you had to take. Yeah. It's very interesting, but I think applying it, I mean, it it wouldn't really work for uh, bourbon in the same way, but I think sitting down with four glasses of bourbon where you have no clue what you're tasting and just making your impressions about, you know, quality which ones speak to you and then finding out what they are after the fact, I think is, is a something that everybody should do. And you gave us something. I mean, proof is in the pudding. You gave us something when we first sat around this table and you said, do you want me to tell you what it is or do you just want to sip it and we'll talk about it and then I'll tell you what it is. And Zeke and I both said, let's sip it and we'll talk about it. And then you can tell us what it is. And speaking of which, that was your two year castle and key pin hook, distillate correct that is your stuff it's not mgp correct you're not ready to release that yet no zeke and i both said i did not get youth on it i think it had a nice cinnamon spice to it but there was zeke described it as drinking lipton's lemon iced tea lipton iced tea i'll I'll stick with that as a, a solid note for me it just went down so easy. What proof was that? I don't even know. I mean, <laughs> I, the the barrel entry proof is one twenty. Um, you know, so when we when you just pull when you pull a a sample from a barrel, you don't take the proof. But not not diluted. Most importantly, yeah, it was not diluted. Whatever it was, it was 
you hope it's 20. not over 160 and then you yeah. just kind of yeah but it's i'm it's somewhere between 120 yeah. and 160 yeah but it's i'm i mean i'm glad you all enjoyed it i mean you're you're talking about something that maybe will be released as a three you know another year down the road or a little bit longer but somewhere around that time frame but to be that tasty i think and and complex and interesting um at two years old is a good sign well and fun at least for us maybe it's, maybe it's not so much the masses but you know when it does come out in a product you know whether whether what that age be we can say oh well here's what it was when we had it at this age and you can literally see how it's you know grown and moved so to speak which i don't think many of us other than the folks that are lucky enough to be in the ricks for their job or you know whatnot are, are really going to see how something progressive progresses and moves to have that perspective of wow this is really you know fully matured now because i remember when i had it last year i liked this and didn't like that but now this is what i'm getting off of it well i think what you're saying which is kind of cool to me is that and i think it's what i'd like to think makes pinhook different is that it really came ultimately from the enthusiast perspective meaning i and i'm i'm not saying this to blow smoke but like i don't see myself as any different from you guys and probably a lot of people who listen to your podcast or are just like serious enthusiasts. I was you just someone... make better drinks than us. I mean, if, <laughs> well, you, no. if no, you but, go back to the stuff, no, of that but, stuff they used to do in your restaurants, yeah. you know how to make a hell yeah, cocktail. But, but I think I, still my point though is like, you know, we all love bourbon or presumably everyone listening to this loves bourbon. And if you took it from the approach of like, you weren't trained as a chemist you didn't grow up as in the beam family. You have no legacy. You're just someone who loves it. And then you get put, um, well, not put in a position. You just decide we were lucky to make this, you know, leap back in 2010 when it was very affordable to buy, uh, MGP at the time, LDI barrels. And, you know, I think we talked about this on another show, but to reiterate we it, did. we paid $465 a barrel for three-year-old bourbon. So we were paying about a dollar 75, in terms of the liquid for a 750 (laughs) ml for three-year-old bourbon, which would be, you know, 10 X that now, if you could even get your hands on it. I so wish I knew that. So do so many, yeah. So do so many other people. And so I, it was really just dumb luck, but I think, I guess what I was getting at to what, um, to what Zeke was saying is I feel like we've always taken an enthusiast approach. And because of that, we just have a different mentality. It's not a better mentality. It's just a different thought process. And part of what we've done is basically showcase the things that you're talking about that you normally don't get to see, right? So we were talking about going back to the MGP thing next year, basically all of our, you know, the majority of our core products. So our everyday bourbon and rye, our cast strength bourbon and rye, our single barrels will all be castle and key pin hook product. We still have MGP barrels left. So I was trying to think of something, again, going back to what Zeke was saying, something that would be fun and maybe give people an experience that they haven't had before. And that would just be, you know, I think it will be collectible, um, but also hopefully interesting, educational and fun. And so the vertical series, as we're calling it, which it will be labeled as such this fall, Pinhook, four-year-old MGP bourbon with an age statement on it, released for the next nine years one year older each year. So you collect age four to age 12. I'll proof each year 
at whatever I think is the perfect, you know, the sweet spot for each for each batch. So it essentially starts at Bourbon Country, right? And then it is exactly, go. yeah. And actually, that's a great point for anyone who really wants to nerd out. If you <laughs> truly want the full collection, you can collect age three, yeah, through twelve, <laughs> which would be Bourbon Country. So that said. In order to make the vertical less confusing, we're anchoring it to one horse. That horse is Bourbon War. Okay. So the the fall, uh, you know, the vertical Bourbon release this fall is Bourbon War, and will remain Bourbon War age four to age twelve. But which, if you want to collect the full thing, you need the three year old Bourbon Country as well. Exactly. Which, not to take it back to sports, but really, uh, wish. Bourbon War had a better trip in the Preakness yeah. and, and the Belmont. Yes, me too. I I was pulling for him. Think he kind of had a bad trip in the Preakness. Yes, he did. Wasn't really sure what was going on there. I'm sure Jamie Hill had some words. Anyways, we know that there is going to be another bourbon horse that will be in the Triple Crown again. For those of you that don't know what Pinhook does, there is two sides of Pinhook. There is... The horse racing aspect with Bourbon Lane Stables, where they actually have horses that run and race. And then there's the other side where Sean is really the brains behind, and that is the whiskey side of it. But each release is named after a horse, right? Correct. So, yeah, the idea is really, in terms of what's in the bottle, the ethos is really to make vintage vintages of bourbon and vintages of rye. So every year... If you buy, you know, the everyday pinhook bourbon or rye on the shelf, which is typically selling for, you know, $35, $37, depending on where you are, that is blended and proof to be the best expression of the barrels that we have ready at that time. And we're not trying to recreate the same flavor profile year after year. That is what I guess I'd say everyone else is doing. And so I don't, again, I don't think what we're doing is better, but it is just a different, it's a different approach, which is to say, what if you looked at the barrels that you had and instead of trying to recreate the same flavor profile at the same proof year over year, you took those barrels and just tried to make them the best that they possibly could be. So yeah. if you tasted two vintages of rye next to each other or two, you know, tasted 2017 rye and 2018 rye, you would say hopefully that they both taste good. And even if they were the same mash bill, that they taste nothing like each other. Um, and so it helps showcase what you were talking about, which you guys know so well, is there so many variables in weather and humidity and the barrels themselves and all everything that's going on that lead to the barrels themselves being unique from year to year. And instead of trying to figure out, okay, looking at all these barrels, is there some combination we can put them together in that makes them taste the same year after year after year? Instead, we're saying, let's just try to make them what at least... I perceive to be the best and who cares if it tastes like the last vintage. And well, everybody that's, likes that's, a, a good change of pace and I hadn't really thought of that till now, but it almost seems to play kind of on the, the single barrel craze somewhat is, you know, exactly. we, we've all got labels and brands that we love and, and love the single barrel picks and then inevitably love to line those up and all right, well, let's see which ones, you know, the best or which one do we like the most this, this day. So now you almost have at least it seemed to me, a small batch, not a single barrel, but it's still annually it's going to change in its entire profile. So there'll be some, you know, consistency to it, but at the same time, it'll give you something to talk about, something to measure up. And yeah, we all don't love the same stuff, but that's what makes it fun. 
I think there's also something about, and this comes from like the kind of my experience in the wine business, and it does get expressed in bourbon through single barrels. It's the ephemeral nature of something that you like. You were part of a single barrel pick or you went to your favorite store and they said that they picked a barrel and they were, they're like, I'm sorry, you can only buy one bottle of it and you taste it and you're like, God, this is the best bourbon I've ever had. And you just, you're in love with it. And on the one hand, you want to keep tasting it because you love it so much. And on the (laughs) other hand, you're aware that it will never exist again. And you have to ration it and you have to ration it and you have to think of it, but it's like, you can't hoard it. It's like, what's the point of not drinking it? And it comes to this thing, you know, in the wine business, they would always say there are no great wines. They're just great bottles of wine, right? Because of wine, it's even more the idea that like barometric pressure, each bottle has its own chemical reactions. I mean, I think bourbon is doing less, you know, far less in the bottle once it's bottled, but still the idea that like you have that bottle and it's special, and when it's gone, it's gone. But it makes you love it more. Oh, yeah. it, it would be another thing to have, like, maybe you have your favorite everyday bourbon. There's no point even picking a name. There's so many good ones out there, and you love it. But guess what? When it runs out, you can just go buy another one. So I think you feel almost more connected, and you get more joy out of it for knowing that it won't last forever. And so, to Zeke's point, we're doing that even with our our core product, which is that you know, at some point th- our first rye that we ever made was Pinhook. Uh, the horse was bourbon and rye, which by the way, apologies. That was very confusing for many people <laughs> <laughs> out there who thought that it was a blend of bourbon and rye. It was a long explanation, but, um, you know, at some point, like I have an attachment to that for it being the first rye mm-hmm. that we ever made. I've tasted it so many times. And when I, when I come back to it, if I haven't tasted it in like a month or whatever it is, I'm like, Oh man, it makes me think back to it was the first product that actually came out of castle and key slash the old Taylor distillery since it was closed. Oh, man, Again, it I wasn't wanna... made there, but it was the first thing to be bottled there since the distillery basically shut down in 1972. So I just have a connection to it. So the idea is at some point bourbon and rye will be gone. And you can never get it again, or there'll be bottles floating around. I would have brought it down. I have some up there. I should mention, I don't want to take you off. And I know there are certain people that will kick me for cutting you off. But I should mention, we have bourbon country on the table. We have rye humor on the table. We have bourbon courage, the true single barrel on the table. We've been going through those. We we have some other assorted things on the table, too. But it's really... um, these are the three that we're going through of yours. And yep. then you brought the castle and key for us to try. So yeah. thank you for that. My pleasure. So as we're talking through this, I should have brought down bourbon and rye as well. But just so people know, we we are sipping on a lot of stuff while we're actually talking to Sean yeah, here. Great variety but here. keep going. Sorry. Well, you were no, talking was, about bourbon and rye. And yeah, about just how- the vintages. And I, I think it's kind of like my hope is just that it brings something kind of interesting and then i think you know in the restaurant business i think you're always looking for some sort of emotional connection i mean when you walk into a restaurant and you have one of those amazing experiences it's the combination of all of these factors you know who you're with the the particular night the decor the music all those kinds of things and i think i'm very sensitive to this idea that you know it's those connections that in a way can enhance something and i hope in a way that the that this is bringing a little bit of that um, that aspect to the world of bourbon, which is that 
people will feel more of this connection to something that's like comes and goes in the different vintages and they'll be interested in the next vintage and they'll feel a little bit of that like wistful sadness when they have that last pour of bourbon and rye knowing that they'll maybe never get their hands on it again but it it kind of like in a way i think it could enhance the bourbon drinking experience see the way i live my life is I, I live my life based off of the great philosopher Axel Rose, who taught me that <laughs> nothing lasts forever, even cold November rain. <laughs> yeah. So if you if you, you it well. if you go through and just know that nothing's going to last forever, yeah, you just enjoy it for you what enjoy it, it and you enjoy it even more. Yeah. You know, John, you did recently post the pictures while you were moving of all the boxes with bottles you've been hoarding. So I'm not really sure. Uh, they were double, so a lot of those were a lot of those we, were we, the ones. We, we all saw the stuff that has it's been it's still waiting to be consumed. The majority of those were backups, so I would go buy two <laughs> of a pick. For Sean's point exactly, that I know I'm going to have this, and I'm going to wish somewhere down the line I had another bottle. So someday you will thank me for having done that. Well, I will say though, and we'll keep this to a very brief tangent on the lines of having the backup because so, we all do it you know we all buy that second one thinking ah, i better go and get another one of these i really liked it and after this move i friggin wish i never did that but also with the way the market is constantly new products coming out etc and just the the fomo that we all have over seeing different things and, and some some advertisement always being in your face does it really make sense that much of the time to buy the backup or you just turn into a hoarder and it's something you never get to. Hundred percent. I'll jump in right. saying I've got plenty of, of backups yeah. that I don't even know I have them that I'm digging through. I'm like, oh, I had two of those shit. I still didn't drink the first one. But it, by the yeah. time you buy it, it really makes a whole lot of sense. I but, say this with no judgment against anyone else. But I've always been a drinker, not a collector. Like I just even you know pinhook aside, like I just never wine, whiskey. I, I was just never one of those people to like accumulate and i was also i'll be the first person i'll i'm gonna empty out whatever bottle it is i'm not waiting for to be like oh i can't let it go i'm i'm gonna drink it all no and it's one of those things where zeke to your point i think i had the best intentions in buying two yeah something you really liked and you thought hey it's a single barrel i probably won't get a second one of these i really like it i should you know get a backup but i think at least for me where i was kind of thinking was we never really put in perspective of gauge well, how much do I really like it? Yeah, it's really good. But the next three picks that some store somebody puts out, they're probably going to be really good too. Am I ever going to take the time to really circle back and it be that significant? I think that's a line that yeah. most of us miss. And admittedly, there's all stuff that oh, we should have drank that thing two nights ago. Shit. And I think there's things too, Zeke, when you get to where we are in the sense of, you know, and it's nothing better than anybody else, but we're in multiple groups, right? So, Sean, if you think about it, we're we're in the Bourbon Cartel, we're in Legacy, there's Whiskey House, there's all these places. And then there's all these stores that that we're friends with. Yeah. And nobody gives anything to us. We, we pay just like anybody else. But think about all those places, especially in the Bourbon groups we're in. It's just an automatic, like, I'm going to take two. I'm going to support the cause. I'm not going to be that guy if we go pick a barrel that goes and just takes one and then put somebody else on the, the hook for my share. So it's safe to say that we at least get two of every pick that 
we're a part of or every pick that comes out. So, Zeke, I think when you talk about hoarding, it's like you get those and then you get the other backups that you think you need. And then at the end of the day, I don't really need them. It's going to be one of those things where I almost want to just buy a storage unit, put those in there, and then come back in like 10 to 15 years and say, anybody who is friends with me, I am going to have the most kick-ass bottle share in 10 to 15 years, (laughs) opening up this shit from 2016 to 2019 that I hoarded, and we're all going to open it. I'll be there. Yeah. (laughs) You can come. Bringing it back to you, because people don't want to hear us talk, but bringing it back to you. So the last time we had you on, you were just getting bourbon country out. It was the orange wax bourbon country, which was not a cast strength. Correct. But it was still not 90 proof. Correct. And Yeah, that one we proved at 95.5. You had just got bourbon and rye out, and then you were working on bourbon country. Yeah. But we got to have a early sip of bourbon country while you were there. There's a lot of stuff you guys have been doing as you move. So if you think about where you were as a brand, you bought up all this MGP back when it was 465 bucks a barrel. That stuff eventually ran out to yep. the point where you were releasing it every six months. Right. Aging it as you went. So you almost had that old vertical of the 90 proof stuff. Correct. You've now moved to a younger distillate of MGP, but the regular bourbon country was 95.5. This bourbon country that you've released at 115.3. Yes. That was one that was a blend of 75 75 MGP barrels. barrels. Correct. So you've been a busy guy. Do you want to talk a little bit about what you've been doing from last year to this year in the sense of kind of you have this interim mgp as the castle and key is waiting to come out we talked about that that was really really good the castle and key distillate can't wait to see what happens after you let that sit for another year but what have you been doing yeah we have been busy uh, <laughs> There's been a lot. Yeah, so we. I mean, I, think, I mean, rye humor came out. Yeah, so you, from from when I first came on the show, uh, like the first time, all we had to taste was um, our first ever rye bourbon and rye. Right. Well, I brought some of the older ninety percent, and we stuff. had some of that. But yeah, I mean, in terms of like what we had in the market, and it was the only thing being sold in Tennessee at the time was we had one yeah. one skew. By the end of this year, we will have released seven different products. So we have, um, we will have bourbon country bourbon, rye humor, which is our second vintage of rye, cast strength bourbon. We have a cast strength rye coming out in the fall, which Ooh. I am very excited about. I'm like, I, I run the risk of probably losing credibility because every time there's like something new that we do that's different. I always say that that's my favorite. <laughs> um, like when the cast strength bourbon came out, I was like, I really think this is my favorite. And I, I mean it, you know, but the cast, I mean, you guys know obviously that younger rye is more complex and tends to be more interesting at a younger age than, than bourbon does. The cast strength rye that's coming out this fall is I think incredible. I remember how excited you were when the true single barrel was coming out. Oh Yeah. And you were you were just texting me. You're like, man, this is going to be awesome. <laughs> and then, Bourbon Country came out at 150. 
we're sipping on this now. I love this gas drink, though. I really like this bourbon country. I like it a lot. And I want to talk to you about this because how the hell do you blend yeah. 75 MGP barrels? Like, yeah. As you're sitting there, we know you take a lot of trips up to Castle and Keys. Yes. What is actually involved in blending 75 barrels together? So people, we always get a lot of credit for being fully transparent. So I'm going to continue in that. So I, you know, for reasons of time and my other kind of like obligations, responsibilities, which is mostly running around all over the country, you know, trying to, um, introduce people to Penhook and work with our distributors, you know, from California to Minnesota and so on and so forth. We really rely on the team at Castle and Key to do the nuts and bolts of blending. They have some awesome folks there. What I'm ultimately doing is I'm getting options based on a lot of legwork that they have put in because to put together, for example, this cast strength in the way that they do it, which you know, again, I, I can't say I know how every other distillery works, but it is a lot of hours. It's not just grabbing 75 barrels and <laughs> mixing them together and crossing your fingers. It's, you know, I mean, for a moment, let me talk about the cast strength rye just because it's fresher in my memory. In order to get to the cast strength rye, 120 barrel samples were pulled, right? So that was based on trying to pull you know, our current MGP stock that was on the older side. So you pull 120 samples and then, and again, this is not me. This is castle and key tasting through all 120 samples and taking notes on all of them. That's a tough day's work. That's a tough day's work. It definitely cannot be done in a day. That's a few days work. Um, out of those 120 barrels, 90 were identified that okay. they wanted to work with. Um, and it doesn't mean that the 30, that were in some way faulty or not of quality or not good. It was just more this idea of like of the 120 here are 90 that we think will be the best to work with on this blend from those 90, I was presented with three options that represented 65 barrel combinations of the 90 barrels. Does that make sense? Yeah. So each one, so here's option one, it's 65 barrels. Here's option two, it's 65 barrels. Here's option three at 65 barrels. Obviously, no, th none of the three options were the same. They were all different combinations of the 90 barrels. And what I can tell you, which is very illustrative of what, Zeke, you were talking about before, it is that people don't normally get to see or experience was how dramatically different those three options were. In spite of the fact that the barrels were all roughly of the same age and roughly aged in the same part of the rickhouse and all that. And I was presented... Of the three options, I was told, well, there's one option that I don't even want to bother to present you. Not because it's horrible, but just because it's not it's not nearly as good as the other two. So here are two other options. <laughs> the two <laughs> options were so different from each other, whereas one was this pure, more like high-tone citrus, fruit-driven expression of rye, and one was the darker, more tobacco, leather, spice, still really good fruit and seemed to have a lot more age than the other one. The other one, while being really good, appeared more youthful, you know, and I, I picked the one that seemed older than it was because I think it's more expressive of what the possibilities are 
Uh, and then did they give you the other one where they said we could blend these two together to get something completely different? Well, I mean, I think that would have in essence been the, you know, the other some one that they didn't want you to have. or yeah. you know something else. But you know, yeah, that's and where I they flip you the bird and say we gave yeah, you two options. Yeah, stick with those. <laughs> but you know, the, the bottom line is they've done su- such a good job with that, and I think that you know whatever it says on my email signature, I'm the master taster. I mean, at the end of the day, someone has to like give the thumbs up or the thumbs down and ultimately decide. But the nuts and bolts of what it takes of, you know, sitting in a room with a graduated cylinder. Can you imagine like just the pure logistics of you have 65, you know, you have 90 samples and now you have to create these three different combinations of various combinations of the 90 barrels. And you don't start by going 65 at a time. You have to break them into smaller groups of like 12 to 14 and try to, which, you know, we call as like pods Mm -hmm. and then start putting these different pods together. And then if the pods aren't working, breaking the pods down and reassembling them with different options. So, you know, when I was talking to them about it, they were saying it was, you know, a good 60 hours of work to get to. That's not bad. Honestly, no, it's it's crazy. Uh, I got to spend some time with Ashley Barnes, who anybody who knows, the whiskey industry knows she's formerly Buffalo Trace and then Four Roses. And she worked with a local distillery here in Nashville, Pennington. Okay. And at the time, they gave her 11 barrels. And I got called in. It was a Sunday morning. Zeke's daughter was actually getting baptized that day. So I went down to the distillery and I was sitting with them and She's like, yeah, you know, out of these 11 barrels, I think three are going here. One is a single barrel. And out of the rest that were left, I blended some together. And I got one that was like a grapefruit IPA. It was very fruity. And then there's one that I blended together of four that was just straight maple syrup. Yep. She's like, you have two profiles here from the whiskeys that you have. And it was on a much smaller scale. The other funny thing is as we were sitting there recording... There were a hundred other barrels that they were then giving her samples for yeah. to do the same thing. Or they were giving her samples of a hundred other barrels to then go replicate what she did on a smaller scale, which is more of yeah. where you're at. Um, but she ended up blending them together, and Zeke had this as well it turned into this thing where it was a profile of the nose was very fruity and the taste was very dark and syrupy and it was great. So she ended up doing that plan C. So plan a would have Mm -hmm. been more of a grapefruit IPA fruity lighter would have been that summer pour blend two would have been that maple syrup it would have been a really good fall winter pour it was thick it really did taste like syrup and then there was option three which was the combination of the both but for her to sit there and say okay i took these 11 barrels and this is what i whipped up was crazy to me just crazy the the fact that they can sit there and do that and their palates are so in tune that they can pick out these little pieces and say if i put it together this way i I mean i think a lot of the way that zeke and i blend we try to have a rhyme or reason with it and we try to tinker at home we don't have enough time to do it 
But a lot of times I think it's dumb luck that we fall into that, you know? But I think it's also like, I mean, I know like me, you, you enjoy cooking a lot. Yeah. I mean, if, if you're, uh, I mean, I'll just pick something easy. Like if you're making coleslaw, which I think coleslaw needs a lot of salt, like cabbage can take a lot of salt. And so like coleslaw, in my opinion, is mostly under seasoned, right? And you taste it and you feel like I really like, like it. a broccoli slaw. Well, that's delicious too. Yeah. yeah. Sorry. No, Not no, at no. all. But but whatever you're seasoning, right? And if you're someone who cooks a lot, it's not it's not about a recipe at that point. You feel like it needs more salt. And you reach for the salt and you add more salt. And there's not, you know, you just kind of have this feeling like, do I need a big pinch? Do I need a little pinch? I mean, if you cook a lot, you know, less is always better because you can't take salt away. Yeah. Can't, can't take but, anything back out. But I, I, I think in that way, it's like, if you cook a lot, it's kind of instinctual about the flavors are developing as you're cooking. And then you're trying to figure out like, oh, it needs something like oh, I should yeah. put a little more vinegar in this. It needs a little more salt. It needs something else. I think like I should add more pepper. It needs, I think a little heat would be good. And you just kind of, as you go, you, you know, and hopefully, you know, sometimes better is the enemy of good, but you know, hopefully more often than not with cooking, you usually find your way and you feel like you're like, Oh, that came out great. And I think that the, I think that the, to me, the blending is similar to that, right? There's not, there's no exact formula and you can't say each situation is different. The barrels are always changing and you're just kind of feeling your way through, yeah. you know, it's like, huh, you know what? I kind of feel like the way this barrel's tasting and the way those barrels are tasting. If you put them all together, I think it could be kind of interesting. And then you taste it and you're kind of like, Hmm, that's not quite working for me. What about that other barrel that I thought was kind of weird? It could add something interesting to the mix and you flow it in and you're, you're just kind of playing around. And, and I think going back to what we were saying before, that's the part that I find really fun and again this is absolutely not a knock on people who are blending for you know consistency of of flavor over time but um i find this way more interesting yeah and i think it's you know, kind of kind of a reverse perspective on you know tasting so to speak because definitely if i have the mindset i'm going to try and mix something together that i think is going to you know yield better than any of the individual parts alone i don't pick out more than two sometimes three notes at best it's literally just what really stands out about that product that i do or don't like and even the don't likes can be more important to me than the do's sure because when you've got something else that doesn't offer that at all then you all right well i didn't like how much this was expressed over here on you know this bottle on the right but the one on the left and the middle was completely missing so you know incrementally work it in to where it gets enough of it to be a, a balanced type product and I just like being able to go back and, and think simply again at times. Like, all right, quit trying to find everything you're tasting, smelling, et cetera. Just the one or two things this does really well or doesn't do well, but what just stands out the most and then line those up somehow. You said the most important word to me, though, balance, right? Because my perception, just as someone who was an enthusiast first when I would taste whiskey, was that wine is always meant to be about balance, whereas I felt like whiskey is always was at least historically has been made to be about notes, right? Like you pick a house style and your house style is like, basically you've picked your notes and then you just have to hit the same notes over and over and over again at the same proof. And the way you think about, um, wine is really about balance, right? It's like, if it's too earthy, it's too much. If it's too fruity, it's too much. You're looking for balance. You're looking for it to hit the middle front 
uh, I was like front, middle, back of your palate. You're looking for a long finish. You're looking for aromatic complexity. And the way you would think about wine in terms of determining what's a great wine, if you had a wine that on the palate was incredibly complex, incredibly balanced, had a long finish, great balance of acidity and tannin and, and all those types of things, but on the nose was flat, then you wouldn't deem it to be a great wine because it was missing that one quality. And I'm not saying that we achieve it all the time with pen hook, but at least in my head, that's how I think about it as a goal is I want aromatic complexity. Like I want, I'm just following the same kind of idea. I'm not interested in like, Oh, we have to hit a bunch of specific notes. I just want whatever notes that you're getting to be balanced with each other. And the best indication I've gotten that maybe we're succeeding is that people who let's say are less enthusiasts. So they don't necessarily have the language to say, we'll just be like, Oh man, this is really smooth. Mm-hmm. And I think smooth is another way of saying balanced, right? Well, I, I think when one when people ask me what's my take on pinhook, I always say, you know, you gotta understand Sean's a wine guy first and foremost, but I think it is one of the most balanced whiskeys I've ever had. And and I think it's because you have that wine approach first and foremost, where you try to bring that balance to your whiskeys that really is I want you to know it's appreciated because I know it's always going to be, there's never going to be high notes, low notes. It's just going to be good notes as you're going through. I am a sucker for this bourbon country. I will tell you. You're talking about the cast strength? Yeah. Yeah, me too. The 115.3, I think, is one of my favorite pours that I have in the shelf right now. It's really, really, really good. The other thing I will mention is Zeke, I think I would be a shitty blender because the problem I have is I always get in trouble because I don't measure. You know, mm-hmm. when it when it comes to cooking, I I, I never yeah, sit either. there and say, like, I need a half a cup of this or, you know, the, the closest I get to it is when I'm cooking rice. You know, I might pour that in something so I just know how much rice I have. Yeah, you so really want the one much... cup of rice and the cup and three quarters of water yeah. to actually cook it for 20 minutes after it boils on low heat. Yeah. That is what I'm thinking. <laughs> yeah. That, that, that I actually think will the, yield a good product. That is, I think, the only time I measure. But when it comes to salt, pepper, seasoning, whatever I'm putting on it, it's more of a feeling. Like, I'll put some on, like you said, less is more in the beginning. I'll put some on, I'll say, does it need a little bit more? Does it need a little bit more? Do you find that's the same thing, though, as you're going through? Because they give you a product. Mm-hmm. They give you a base. So if you think about it, Castle & Key, you are their client and partner. And I always like it when somebody is consulting for you and they come in with a point of view. So they came in with a point of view. They said, these are what we think the best are. Do you ever then go back to them and say, yeah, it's there, but I think it's missing a little bit of this, and I would love if we could balance this out? Well, I think, first of all, it's been so far so good, and I also think that you know, we've only had the one cast strength bourbon. We have the rye coming. Fair enough. Fair we have enough. the rye coming. With the other stuff, you know, and I, I honestly I don't know the answer to this yet because I haven't done it enough, but I think the proof is so important Mm -hmm. and that's the part where i am really tasting it all the way through and making that decision and i guess what i mean by that is you know i think back to um 
Zeke's point when you guys recorded the show about right you always call back to Zeke's points you well, never call back to anything you that have, I said you have awesome points but his, <laughs> his tasting notes he always goes like he goes very dramatic on the thing that he's catching. So with this, I rem- although you were on this track too, so let me let me give you your due <laughs> no, as well. No, but he was fine. on his like, or maybe were you the one who said barrel aged gin before he did? Maybe that I should give me. you proper credit. We both we so both was right. were there, but Zeke yeah, said it. He first. vocalized it, so yes. hence he's getting the credit. <laughs> but um, the thing is, what I find so interesting about that, and I find it interesting when people taste this or bourbon and rye, is they have this experience where they're like, I didn't really know rye could taste like that. And then it, whether it's someone who doesn't know it's MGP or they don't know enough to say like, Oh, MGP is this place. And basically they make this 95% rye, 5% malted barley thing. And that's the same stuff that you're going to get from high West and smooth ambler and James E pepper and on and on yeah. and on. Right. They taste it and they're like, they've never tasted anything like it. And what's fascinating to me is there's this idea of what rye is supposed to taste like that has been perpetuated by the people assembling it. But to the way, to the reaction you guys had from this, you're like, I don't think I've ever tasted a rye like this before. And yet you guys have tasted how much 95, five rye. Yeah. (laughs) Right. A lot, at least a handful. (laughs) But, but, and this is, I'm not saying this, I'm not saying this to pat myself on the back. It's more to illustrate a point about how unique you can make, you know, bourbon or rye with the same ingredients is you've never tasted anything like this before. No. no. And, and my point is when it comes to the proofing, if you, we were to sit down and actually, I think this would make a great show not to propose that I've, I've been very greedy to be on the show as many times as I have, but like it would be very interesting to sit down and do a proofing exercise where you taste, you taste it at 10 to 12 different proofs and you see it's pretty bizarre when you actually see that like at 98 proof, like the fall vertical bourbon going back to that. I tasted it between 93 and a hundred going up the line, 93 and 98 proof were the only two just when you just went down the line and you just go like this, put your nose in the glass and you smell it. Particularly the 98, I smelled it and I was like, Holy cow, Mm -hmm. that smells incredible. Like it's just like leaping out of the glass, but the extent, which I, I mean, I wish there was some way for me to illustrate it, you know, talking about it, but the extent to which the 97 and the 99 on either side of it didn't come even close to achieving that is almost more extreme than you could imagine. Can we do that? Cause I, yeah, I, I absolutely. A hundred percent. You're not being greedy at all. Yeah. You know, you have an open door with us. We'd love anytime you're in town. We, we want you on. I think it would be very illustrative and I think you would really see oh, yeah, how, down. how different it is. And I think, so that's where, when it comes to the proofing, you really see, I feel like with bourbon and rye or rye humor, I could have found a proof regardless of the blend. I could have picked a proof that would have ex- made the whiskey express itself more in the way that people expect rye to be, which is, you know, this kind of upfront spice, like kind of hits you, hits you up front with kind of spice and a little bit of like heat and almost a little bit of volatility and you know just like how i hit the table just like how you hit the table <laughs> it's just a little a little whack to your to your sinuses and your senses <laughs> but it, it is so you know versatile though as far as in the space of rye it, it is it, versatile. It, 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 it's getting so hard to have a, a textbook description to me almost like you can tell me it's rye, and you know again there's things that i would expect to be there and, and attributes to be akin to the profile but for the most part, 
it's really hard to, to pinpoint any aspect of, well, if this is a rye, I expect to taste ding, ding, and, you know, whatever else. Because That's even the then, thing, yeah. it, none of them could be there and it'd still be a great pour. But it's so one, crazy. I just yeah. poured rye humor yeah. again because we were talking about yeah. it and I had to. The botanicals, it, it's, it's almost crazy. like it's botanicals on the nose. Anybody, but then I find after it sits in your glass, that almost, and not like normally you talk about something blowing off like you're glad it blew off. It Then it... There's to me that's like something you get initially, and it kind of settles, and it gets more fruity underneath it, more like pear and tropical fruit, and it kind of settles down. But right, I feel like right when you first pour it, it's very junipery, mm-hmm. and that's that kind of gin, that gin it, note. It's crazy though, cause but it's also so. I mean, I think what gets lost too is like I think it's pretty soft on the palate. It's 97 proof. I mean, it's pushing, you know, bottled and bond proof, and it's pretty. Uh, to me, to my palate, anyway, it's like feels pretty delicate. I think uh, the the hardest part that I would perceive from uh, your, your side of the coin is not really so much being confident. In, you know what I thought was was good versus over the other one, but I feel like I inevitably three days later would would go back. You know, for whatever intangibles, you could blind yourself, and legitimately, the one that did not win three days ago. It will win at times. Yeah. Just from, you know, whatever else goes on with the palate, sensory stuff, et cetera. And then you're just kind of stuck like, well, shit, which one do I pull the trigger on here? Do I stick with the gut? Where do I go? Like, You know, we've all been there. We've had something that, you know, either did or didn't amaze us. On it, like a barrel pick and you and tasted then, it yeah, when and it was you go, bottled. And then you go back later. to it and you're yeah. like, I just told all my friends this was the best thing ever. And I don't even like it. Or, or vice versa. I, I didn't like this at all. And man, well, <laughs> yeah, I need about three of them. A lot of times too on barrel picks, it's like, you know, they're going to proof it down to a certain proof or right. you're going to get some, depending on where you're at. There are some that are always going to be proofed at whatever proof. Correct. There are some that, you know, you're going to get wherever it is naturally. And those ones that prove it down. It's like you, the people that know what they're doing on a barrel pick, it's like you have a cap of water. And you're like, okay, I'm going to pour a couple drops in there so I don't pour too much in. I think I'm kind of getting it close to where it would be. And then you just got to pray that it tastes the way it did in your glass in a rickhouse, no matter what was going on. If it was raining, right. if it was winter, you didn't. The winter picks are the worst because you never get anything on the nose. They have you out there in the rickhouse, right. and it's, it's cold. like one degree. Yeah, yeah. Well, even cold juice isn't going to give off as much flavor either. Yeah, you just got to pray. I mean, it's like we just gave you the drink more turkey tonight, and it's like Can't we picked it. Up. We picked the ninth and eleventh barrel that we had that day, and and the eleventh was a short barrel, and the ninth was a full barrel. And I remember Zeke and I sitting there saying these aren't that far off from each other the shorty was longer on the finish and the the ninth you know which was the a had a lot of fruit on it but neither one of them were too far off from each other they were the most fruity that we got that day it's again it's like we hype it up you get a good sticker for it but you pray you're like i hope I was close enough putting water in there to get to 110 proof. 
that was the best part about being nine and eleven. Was you know, John was already a little okay. I can well, it's also he's, he's much more agreeable after a few pours. No, I I, I agree completely. But I, I mean, <laughs> it's yeah, it's hard to know. I mean, I think though. You, I mean, that's why we do our single barrels at, um, not to plug ourselves, but that's why we do our single barrels at cast strength, um, for that reason. Yeah. I mean, I, th- I think it's just the closest thing to fair is that like you're tasting the, you're tasting the barrel and that's what you're going to get in the bottle with. Well, and even then you could still cut it at the pick and then, you know, you know, in the back of your mind that this is why I really loved this one. It was in that proof. So then when it comes in, you know, you tell, tell folks like you're buying a cash strength product you're more than welcome to put it wherever you want when we picked it or i picked it or whoever picked it we thought you know five drops will put you about in a sweet spot or you know whatever yeah recipe you want to go with so to speak one thing i learned with the cast strength which was new information for me which i i mean i wouldn't be surprised if you guys are already familiar with this but um you know castle and key does not chill filter at all so we're what you would either call like charcoal filtering which is not not like Lincoln County process, but like carbon <laughs> yeah. dosing, right? So you're adding carbon into the tank. Product is dumped, goes into the first tank, gets agitated, goes into the second tank. You add carbon, it goes, it gets agitated again. It goes through, goes through the hose, passes through the filter. The charcoal is, you know, grabbing all of the oils and everything else, and then comes out the other end, gra- grabs the charcoal with. Um, with all the oils, et cetera. And then you move it to the third tank filtering or proofing and then to the bottling line. Right. So when we were looking at how to handle the cast strength, what Castle and key explained to me was that we would lose even with, um, carbon dosing, which is considered far superior to chill filtering as far as maintaining the integrity of the product that we would lose 25% of the color as well as flavor, as well as texture. And so the cast strength bourbon was only screen filtered. So it just went through a screen. That's it. There's no, which means, but the the thing that I also learned, which I didn't know was that, you know, typically the reason that you're filtering besides, I mean, there are a lot of reasons that brands filter because it helps like basically almost bind all the barrels together in a better way, mouthfeel, consistency of color, you know, batch over batch for these guys that need to put out a thousand barrel batches 50 times a year to meet global demand. But, um, the way that it came through doing it, doing it this way was to only screen filter it. Oh, but I'm sorry. What the point was, if you don't, if you don't filter when you're bottling at lower proofs, then if you don't, chill filter or carbon dose, you're going to get flocking, right? Mm-hmm. So if you put your bottle in your freezer, you pour it over ice, yeah. it's going to become cloudy. Well, once you go north of probably 96, 97 proof, flocking is typically no longer an issue. Yeah. So they're like, okay, well, you're bottling at 115 proof, 115.3 proof. It doesn't really matter. What it's you're irrelevant. Doing. You're not going to get flocking. So we were able to basically, to the best of our ability, take the 75 barrels, blend them together, put them through a screen filter, and put them in a bottle. And I do think from what I've tasted at the distillery, that's why that's at least one of the reasons why it tastes so good. The whole time you were saying that I was just holding myself back from saying chlorophyll (laughs) sounds more like borophyll. (laughs) There's a whole bunch of stuff going on in the future though, 
And we've been talking for way too long. Yeah, and, well, and this will be heavily edited, presumably. No, probably not. Okay. Because there was a lot of good conversation. Okay, good. I'm even going to keep the basketball stuff. Okay. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> as you move take forward. The, every time you started out a sentence with Zeke. And they, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, that, that's what he cuts out. Zeke said that. No, awesome uh, thing. I'm going to leave that in there, too. I will leave that in there. Even though, you know, I thought Sean and I were closer than, than we were. But You know the person that is like, the one person says, I don't know, it's just, I'm getting a lot of caramel, I'm getting a lot of cinnamon, it's really nice, and the other person's like, Lipton iced tea. You're always going to remember Lipton iced tea. <laughs> yeah, the other person's busy doing all the work. <laughs> <laughs> he, he, it's a great balance. Here. Yeah, it's a great balance. He's kind of like the checks all the boxes. I'm I'm the one who I'm the one who makes sure the show gets up, <laughs> edits it, posts all the social media, it's and and the the asshole that gets to sit back and say, uh yeah, I get lip nice tea." Uh, anyway, so next year, all castle and key, right? Yeah, next year all cast and key except this for the two year. the vertical. Yeah. And this year we'll be races. finishing out right. Yeah, this year we'll finish so in early September, I guess, expect to see on the shelf uh, a sixty five barrel blend of cast strength rye, which is phenomenal. Um connected to rye humor. Gets its own beautiful teal wax and teal label. I love it. It's one of my favorites. So well, what it will be now, though, is, is just one a year, right? So if you do the rye humor in the spring, that is, you know, whatever strength it is. So this one is That's 97. 97. Yeah. So you do the proof down in the spring, and then you would do cast a cast strength in the fall. Season. Yeah. It's also a way of, like, keeping in the spring, there's cast strength rye and... The new vintage of rye, but then, I'm sorry, vertical rye, the current, the new vintage of rye, and cast strength bourbon. So you've got, like, in theory, like, the rye season, mm -hmm. but then you throw in one bourbon thing as well. So, I ho I mean, I hope that um, it's just fun for people that they know in the end that, like, each year, our current plan is that each year we'll be releasing eight different products. Damn. Yeah, so the eight, and it, again, it's everything we just talked about. So in terms of the, I guess what I'd call our core product, which next year, as we said, is Castle and Key bourbon and rye, that will be, I guess, what we'll call our everyday rye. I don't know what else. What do, what do people call the drinkers? Drinkers rye. <laughs> <laughs> the, the everyday drinker. The everyday, yeah, the everyday drinker, the cast strength, and single barrel. And on the bourbon side, the same thing. And then there's the vertical bourbon and the vertical rye. So that's eight things. And so the idea is each category has its own wax color, that wax color. Nice. So, you know, if you look, I would, it would be ridiculous for me to hope that someone is going to collect all eight, you know, different bottlings of, of pinhook every year. But someone could say like, I like their everyday rye and I love collecting their cast strength bourbon. And so every year they're going to see a new horse on that product, different product in the bottle, different vintage date. And, Makes sense. And so that's, that's the, for the foreseeable future. I mean, I'm sure like everyone will get around to fiddling around with experimental stuff. I mean, I was way more interested in, um, 
wine barrel finishes and all that kind of stuff when we first got started in 2010. Now so many people are doing that that it's almost making me flip the other way where I feel like a traditionalist where we're just like we do cast strength, we do single barrel, we do the no, everyday I, thing. Like we like, appreciate let's just make that. it as good as we can. We're uh, not we're not all about the wine finish. We like, so. we like French oak, but not so much on the yeah. wine. We also have enough moving parts, don't we? There's a new yeah. horse. There are eight things. There are different wax colors. So we'll try to simplify. And there's enough things. I mean, we were talking about before we started recording water sources. And, and yeah. I don't even want to get us on that tangent because be we're long. already an hour and a half into yeah. this. But there, there's so much that is actually involved in, in what you have to do here. I think at this point, finishing, you have a very balanced product. The question I would ask you is, what's a finish actually going to add that you don't already have? You know, my only question, to throw it back to you, based on some things that I've tasted, what did I taste recently that made me think of this? Oh, the Whistle Pig Mauve, right? It's oh, 13 years old. It's 13 years old. And it's, yeah. is it a Calvados finished or something like that? I, I think that's right. But anyway, I thought it was really well balanced. And I typically, and we were talking about this earlier, I typically don't like older whiskey because I think that that bitter wood tannin starts to creep in and mm -hmm. ruin it. However, tasting that one in particular, it made me feel like the sweetness from the finish was balancing the bitterness of the wood. <clears throat> so it's making me wonder, and maybe we'll find out as we start having older product, is if I feel that's the way, like how can you create... You know, there's some good things that are obviously happening as it's getting older, but if the bitterwood tannin takes over everything, it kind of maybe ruins those other good things. So going back to the idea of balance, maybe that's where the finishes are really nice, not on something younger, but the finishes help you on an older product balance the yeah. bitterwood tannin. Just maybe. release it's it. Just it's just a thought. I have just no release idea. it a couple years earlier. That would be easier. <laughs> <laughs> get get your money quicker. Anyways, where can the folks find you? They can find you at Pinhook Bourbon on Instagram. Yeah, Pinhook Bourbon. I'm hashtag bourbon. We got, yeah, that's Pinhook's in it. 23 states. We're now, in right? 23 states. Pinhookbourbon.com. Pinhookbourbon.com. Check out, if, can I do this? Can I say check out our app? Yeah. It's a cool app. Uh, I, I have the app. It's awesome. It's awesome. Yeah, it's a free download. Soon to be. No offense to the Android people, but currently only available for the iPhone, but soon to be available for Android. Uh, but right now, it's a free download on the um, on the Apple Store. And basically, it one function is that it 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 uh, recognizes which horse is on the bottle and then gives you detailed information and breaks down some of the technical terms, which not everyone spent time working in the horse business like John. So for those people, you might say, I don't know what hands are. I've never, I don't know what that means. I should screenshot uh, this, this, though, this guy right here. <laughs> cause I should screenshot this cause I have the app yeah. open right now. And it's, as you look at the bottle, it's going to have all these pluses and it's going to go to the different things that are in the bottle. So it will tell you, what is the horse name? You know, what is the horse size? So hands are the unit of measurement for horses' heights taken from the ground to the top of the withers, high point of the shoulder blades. One hand is roughly four inches. So if you think about it, with people actually putting their hand up and up and up. So when you hear a horse is 17 and a half hands, just go 17 and a half times four, 
and you roughly will get to the number of inches that exactly. the horse is tall. And we also have the, um, there are tasting notes in there, mash bills, um, age, you know, the whole thing. So as the, there are recipes in here too, right? Uh, we haven't gotten to the cocktail recipes oh. yet, but that is certainly coming. And the library, as you can see, only includes uh, bourbon and rye, rye humor and bourbon country, but will soon include, you know, the, the future releases as well. But just search Pinhook in... Yeah, it's Pinhook AR app yeah. for augmented reality. So, um, yeah, just look for it in the, uh, in the app store. It's pretty awesome. You could find Zeke and I on Facebook at Dad's Ricky Bourbon. Twitter at Bourbon Dads, Instagram at Dad's Frankie Bourbon. Join our Facebook group, answer a couple of questions. We'd love to get you in. That's also where you can find out all the good things that we are doing, like how this weekend, how tomorrow, I will be in Townsend, Tennessee, while Zeke is on vacation. I will be hanging out with some East Tennessee distilleries. I'm bringing the family out to East Tennessee, going to be in a cabin. And I'm going to interview some of the East Tennessee distilleries while Zeke is down on the beach. But if you are at the Little Arrow Resort, come check us out. There are going to be some tickets, but mostly it's people that are hanging out and actually staying at the resort over the weekend can be a part of this. They're, they're actually going to have us sit around a fire. There's going to be some s'mores, Zeke. I just hope you find some non, uh, I guess, TTB registered distillers while you're in East Tennessee and bring you back a quarter or two. I'm, I'm going to be looking for the same thing. You know, all those people out in East Tennessee, they, they claim to be selling shine. I, I want the real stuff. Exactly. But go ahead and find Little Arrow Resort. Come check us out out there. It's just going to be me this weekend, but it will be worth it. And happy Father's Day to everybody. Find us on your favorite podcast app. Leave us an open and honest review, just as we would leave an open and honest review to the whiskey that we are drinking. Zeke, where else can the folks find us? Nashville, Tennessee. Cheers. Ciao. Thanks, Sean. Thank you, guys. Thank you.